You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey, you're the South Color on the Drive Time Rock Line on WKRP. What would you like to hear? Well, turn it up, man. I want to hear some T-Rex. <laughs> How are things? Things are good. Things are good. My children were relatively helpful this evening in getting getting themselves ready for bed. And the dog was the dog and was his usual helpful self and eating and pooping and getting all that out of the way. So, My kids actually clean the house. Wow. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm expecting like one of them to wake up and like scream and point at me, like Donald Sutherland or something like that. But, <laughs> I for, mean, and for those they, listeners who might not be getting that reference, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a movie from the '70s. It starred Donald Sutherland. Leonard Nimoy was in in that, and oh, um, yeah. forgot what's his face because he was all, the guy who was in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers is briefly. In the oh yeah, what is his name? In the remake, he, he recently died. Ah, it's gonna, that's going to torment me. On okay, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. That's going to torment. Me. Yeah, everybody, uh, talk off, amongst yourselves. Yeah, you Wikipedia. need a topic. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Please discuss. <laughs> <laughs> and IMDb. Okay, this is not memory. This is and next uh, on Coffee Talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Coffee Talk. I'm so verklempt. But they stole the Holy Roman Empire thing. That's a common... Oh, awesome. Now I have uh, a server can't be reached. You're still talking to me, right? Yeah, I have internet. I I'm access. still talking. So, apparently, I just didn't want to go to IMDB. That Twitter in my web browser was was being weird earlier. All oh, right. And, and, so, okay, here we go. I, yeah, let's see. IMDB, finally load. Okay, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. 1978, and I, I did call uh, Donald Sutherland and Leonard Nimoy. I remember that. And who – oh, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, I forgot Jeff Goldblum was in it. That's right. Um, uh, but that's not who I was – Oh, so another movie Jeff Goldblum has ruined? Oh, don't you. Don't you go there. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> is a god. A golden god. Uh, well, we'll see. Okay, first off, The Fly. I, I mean – but also, like, Earth Girls I, were I, easy? Come I think on. that guy's been um, banking off of two or three really good movies, and that's pretty, pretty much it. Oh, them's fighting words. Uh, who I was trying to think of was Kevin McCarthy, who also played the rival TV station owner in UHF. Oh. That's why I was on the tip of my tongue. Cause, Man, I haven't you know. seen UHF in a long time. It, it holds up. It, it you know it, it holds up big time. All right, let's see. We're gonna go to a little bit of uh, Jeff Goldblum because the master of '80s films, because he was on a roll. All right, first up, oh yeah, actually he was brief. He was briefly in the right stuff. I know who they're talking about there. He was in the Big Chill. Yeah. Awesome in the Big Chill. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna Silverado classic. Silverado uh, very is a classic. You know, I worked in a video store. My 
what, uh, sophomore year of college, something like that, mm-hmm. freshman or sophomore year of college. And uh, Silverado was one of those titles that was like always checked out. Yeah, it's weird that it was – I remember the time it was a big deal and then like now no one ever talks about it. Mystic Pizza, that was another oh, one. That, uh, that thing was Julia always Roberts. checked out. Oh, that was that was Julia Roberts before uh, she was Julia Roberts, basically. Right. Oh, Mystic Pizza. That, oh, that was, was a- that, that was before Steel Magnolias, wasn't it? Or was that yeah, after? I think, I think it's before Steel Magnolias, and it's definitely before Pretty Woman. Oh, definitely, yeah, because Pretty Woman was 90. God, it's that late, yeah. Oh, yeah, see? As we remember old video titles and argue about Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Once again, welcome to the off-season edition of the Sneaky Good Podcast. How's it going, everybody? With me, as always, is my producer, Chris. Hello, hello. Hopefully he was recording this. I have been. I've been recording the whole thing. Again, thank you to the Mudbugs for playing us in. Now, undefeated since they became our theme song. So thanks a lot. (laughs) And apparently it's working for LSU basketball, too, who are undefeated in the SEC. Okay, what is going on there? Because (laughs) (laughs) early in the season, I I mean, a lot of guys left off of last year's team. It just looked like this was going to be, you know, maybe an NIT team, maybe a bubble NCA team. I didn't really have very high expectations for this team, which I think was fair with everyone they lost. And then early in the season kind of held that up. This team was just not doing much in, in the early going of the season. They, you know... Lost to VCU, they dropped a, um, a game to Utah State, uh, lost to East Tennessee State, um, then lost to USC. I mean, these aren't exactly, I mean, those are some, those are good teams by and large, but at the same time, that's a lot of, you know, out of conference losses. And then since they've gotten the SEC play, not only can they not lose, they have to win by the closest of <laughs> margins. Right. <laughs> and it, it's gotten so weird that I don't even panic now. Like the Texas game, they were up by 16, choked on the lead, and Texas <laughs> even took a one-point lead. And at no point did I panic, nor did basically anyone on LSU Twitter. I'm following the game on Twitter, and like everyone's like, yeah, ho-hum. It's, you know, we'll win in the end. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. so, so it's going to drop a three or a steal and a dunk or something like that, and it'll all be cool. And even better, then they kind of stretched out at the end to win by a comfortable five-point margin, but let up a meaningless three as the buzzer sounds right. to only win by two. It just truly an epic performance. It's uh, it's something. It, like This is the margin of victory for LSU games and SEC play. It's kind of remarkable. <laughs> okay, Tennessee, they won by 14, so they hadn't found their rhythm yet. All right, Then they beat Arkansas by two. I like how they win by 14. They haven't found their rhythm yet. Yeah, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> Arkansas by two. Mississippi State by one. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M by four, but it was in overtime. So right. let's call that zero in regulation. They beat Ole Miss by a whopping four points. 
then Florida by two, and then, of course, out of SEC play, but they beat Texas by two. That is just a ridiculous run of games. <laughs> this this cannot hold up. Um, no, but... Wade said as much at the presser, I think, yesterday or earlier today or something, that, yeah, it's something that he's not happy about at all they're going to work on. It, you know, they play Alabama on Wednesday, so by the time this post, we'll know how the Alabama game went. When we don't know at the time. So, hello to those of you listening to us in the future. And Alabama's pretty good. Yeah, it, that's, yeah. Ooh, in, in the year two thousand. Um, <laughs> so we don't really know how the Alabama game is going to go. That that should be a good game. But after that, Ole Miss—they're pretty terrible, and Vanderbilt's pretty terrible. LSU—if they can beat Alabama. I mean, they can run out to a nine and zero start in SEC play. Yeah, God, that's. <laughs> I, I mean, this team's on an eight game winning streak. They were seven and four, and now they're fifteen and four. It it just this team makes literally no sense. <laughs> and and they've barely cracked the AP top twenty five either. So. Well, I can't really blame them for that, can you? Well, no. no but... I mean, they, they went. They keep looking like they're winning all these close games. Like it's not. I. I mean, it doesn't really look like a team of quality. I mean, what is it? You know, good teams win, great teams cover. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is. I. And the thing is, what's weird is it's not like you can. It's not really the cardiac cats, which you know I've you know people have kind of thrown out. And I get it. You know, when a team wins a whole bunch of close games like that, you're like, wow, they're winning every game by the seat of their pants. But there's really no expectations on this team. So it's really, there's not a whole lot of dread and angst with this team. Yeah. Like, it's kind of a rebuilding year. So so we're having all these great games and they're fun to watch. But at the same time, I'm not really stressing them out. Because if this team doesn't make the tournament, eh, they don't make the tournament. They They lost a lot. Yeah. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it, too, is let's just have fun, enjoy the ride, and if it leads to greater things, all right. If not, all right. It was fun while it lasted. Exactly. So, it's so it's, yeah, I'm not like on the couch going, oh, my God, what's going to happen with this game? It was like, yeah, the Texas game, they blew a 16-point lead, and I was just kind of like, <laughs> nah, that's just how it goes on a Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say, so, uh, you know, ho hum. One of the, you know, they don't start playing until <laughs> until they, you know, blow ten points out of that lead. And even worse is like you knew it was going to happen. Like it was like, oh, it's sixteen. There's no way they win by this much. Right. It's uh... <laughs> she, oh, she's got to drop sometime. Yeah. Oh my god, it was just just a crazy team. And you know, it's a good team, but at the same time, this is it's not like last year's team where you really had expectations. Yeah. Where not just were they, you know, winning some close games, you know, when Tremont Waters would hit some ridiculous shot. You're like, if this team makes the tournament, they can make a deep run. And, you know, they did make the Sweet 16. This year's team, you know, if they make the tournament, that's mission accomplished. If they win a game in the tournament, I mean, they've vastly, you know, exceeded expectations. And, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of the mark of a program, basically. You know, it's... Will Wade has done a remarkable job rebuilding LSU basketball, but it's also Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, there's going to be step forward, step back. Yeah. So I, I think I don't think this is 
a problem right now, but I don't, you just can't get too far ahead of yourself and expect on the expectations game. It, it takes a while to build something, but I, I think most people are pretty patient with it, particularly after the decade or two decades we've gone through since the, really the end of the Dale Brown era. Yeah. So, so that's how you got out of making fun of Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> You're talking about LSU basketball. Yeah. Just, just hurt me. Though he has been milking the uh, his role in Jurassic Park just a little bit too much. Yeah. I mean, he was... Hey, it was perfect casting for those Apartments.com commercials, too. Hey, he was. Hey, you know, he was... You know, whatchamacallit, he... Uh, God, he... I know he, he he's done some voiceover work, but now I can't remember what he was in. So, but I will not I will not have someone talking down about Jeff Gold, particularly like '80s '90 work. I mean, like yeah, now everybody's mailing it in. The guy's got you know he's got a pool he wants to build, which <laughs> that is actually like one of my favorite things. Uh, Michael Caine. Someone asked him. I think he was in Jaws three. I think or one of the terrible Jaws sequels, and. They asked him, like, you know, why'd you take that movie? You know, why'd you, you know, take that script? And I think he said something along the lines of, well, I've never seen the movie, but I have seen the pool that it paid for. And it is all, you know, and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least there's some honesty in Hollywood still. Yeah. You know, well, I kind of like that British attitude of, you know, actors are just plumbers. We're working stiffs. Yeah. Just uh, every so often we got to, you know, just take it. Not everything you do is art. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to pay some bills. Yeah, you just got to pay some bills. And right now the LSU basketball team, you know, paying those bills. But uh, it's it's kind of funny to wake up after football season and be like, hey, we have a basketball team. Yeah, baseball hasn't even started yet. Yeah, baseball is getting close. We had the... The first press conference of the season, well, where Manieri lied to us about what the lineup's going to be, <laughs> and we all get excited. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not prepared. Yeah, because just someone's getting injured on some freaky thing before the the first game. It, it really has been a thing recently, but uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, the pitching looks pretty stout. The hitting, they're missing a lot of bats, but. Yeah. It's. I think it's easier to find hitters than it is to find pitching. So, look down. The, we'll look down the bench and see who's performing. It, it'll be one of those standard things where the first month of the season is, hey, let's experiment down the bench and yeah. see who has what. But I know the big news is football, and we have ourselves a new defensive coordinator. Meet the old boss. <laughs> the new boss. He is the same as the old boss. Bo Pelini has returned. <sighs> I, I, I'm not unhappy with it, but at the same time, it doesn't move my needle a whole lot. Yeah. It's just kind of, I, I will say one of the things that made Bo Pelini's defenses so good at LSU was they were violent. Yeah. Like, like LaRon Landry is kind of the player who sums up, a Bo Pelini defense. I mean, they, they laid the wood and I don't know if the rules 
allow you to do that anymore. Mm. I would love it if they could, but. Well, as some have observed, you know, see. Coach O has uh, changed think, and, and obviously, other coaches have changed. So maybe Bo has been able to change his approach as well. Exactly. He's been around. I mean, he's gone to, you know, gone to Youngstown State for a while. And honestly, there's something to be said for dropping to a lower level, you know, to see what's you know coming up on the horizon. Right. Uh, you know, there's always kind of creativity on those levels because no one's watching. Yeah. Um, and your talent level isn't up to par with the upper levels. Yeah. And look, he did a good job at Nebraska. They're finding out that eight and five isn't quite as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. And look, it's not like Nebraska was loaded with talent. So it, nothing makes a coach look smarter than really good players. Yeah. So he'll have better talent at LSU than he did at Nebraska. And yeah, we'll just, I think he does have to adjust from the guy he was in 2007. Doesn't mean he can't. I think to me, what's disappointing is if we were going to go with just a retread hire, and I kind of hate the term retread hire, but I used it. So sorry, Bo. <laughs> is that why not take a chance on Corey Raymond, who's been on your staff for, I think, over a decade now? Yeah. He's worked with. You know, several great coordinators. He's considered one of the best defensive back coaches in the country. He's, I think, he's already an you know an assistant defensive head, you know coordinator. Georgia tried to poach poach him and make him a defensive coordinator. So it's not like other teams have not seen he has talent. Yeah. And kind of the only objection to Corey Raymond is the well, he hasn't been a coordinator before. Yeah. And I mean, I see that, but that's kind of how we keep people out of jobs. Mm. I mean, there's a paucity of African-American defensive and offensive coordinators in college football, despite the fact that the game is played by predominantly African-American men. Right. And to say that a coach can't get a shot because he doesn't have any coordinator experience just feels like an artificial roadblock to a guy who has paid his dues. It's not like, Raymond has been the secondary coach for like two or three years. And I'm like, Hey, promote him. You know, we had a really good secondary. He's been here a long time and he has a proven track record. He's worked under some of the best minds in college football. I mean, he worked under Chavis. He's worked under Kevin Steele. He's now worked under Dave Aranda. Unless he's a total moron. He has soaked in some of that knowledge from those guys. And I don't think Corey Raymond's a total moron. So he is, he has soaked in that knowledge and honestly, it's you just gave uh, Coach O a raise to seven million a year. You might want to save a little bit of cash. Mm-hmm. You know, you're paying Bo Pelini over two million a year. You're paying him like he is Dave Aranda, and I'm not sure Bo Pelini is Dave Aranda. He might be. I wonder if this might not be a situation of maybe maybe Coach O looked at Corey and wants to do that but there's something that he feels is is missing from his from his game that would make him the defensive coordinator he wants to have it's very possible i mean we're not behind the scenes and also we don't know their relationship i mean their actual relationship coach o and raymond probably have talked about this yeah so and it could very well just be that coach o you know just wants an established guy it could be that's He's like, this is the level of the program, and I just t- can't take that chance. Yeah. I would disagree with that logic, but I do think he has clearly articulated to Corey Raymond based on how 
Raymond re-upped. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just he signed a new contract this offseason as well. So right. whatever's going on behind the scenes, it, it seems to like keep him around. Yeah, right. Yeah, he he can bolt whenever he wants, and he has no shortage of offers, and he has offers to become the defensive coordinator places. So he likes it here. He obviously and. It seems that he works well with Coach O. I, I think one of the best things Coach O has done is he has built a staff that feels like it works well together. Yeah. And I think that's the selling point. It's it's not one guy. It, it's a collaboration. And so even if you don't hold the title, you're still going to have a lot of input. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things in the offseason bef- before the season started over the summer – and then throughout the season, we never really heard. Usually, if there are issues with a coaching staff, it's going to come out sooner or later. I mean, all we have to do is look back just a, a couple of years at the whole Matt Canada situation. That spilled out into the media at some point. Again, you would think if something like that was, was simmering under the surface, we would have heard about it by now. And we yeah. didn't hear anything. It was very and- collegial. And I think the way a lot of the, the staff looked at it, like offense and defense, it was kind of like it was the whole iron sharpening iron thing, right? Like you're going to give us our your best in practice, so we're going to give you our best in practice, and we'll see where it goes from there. It was friendly yeah, competition, basically. Yeah, and also they they were really good about giving praise to guys down the staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brady was brought in as the passing game coordinator, and I know he's the genius du jour. But Ensminger's still the offensive coordinator, and they were very generous with the praise to Brady. Yeah. Ensminger shifted a lot of the praise, you know, you know, sent every journalist down there to go talk to him. And that's it allowed Brady to go back to the NFL because not only did the offense produce, but Brady got all the credit for it. Yeah. And that's I think that's an important thing. I think they look around the room, it's not you don't have the guys at the top saying, Hey, I'm the only one in the room. This is all me, 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 me. You know, you are all replaceable. Right. It really feels like, Hey, what do you do? Well, what do you do? Well, Hey, I want as many smart guys in the room as I can, which is why coach, particularly on defense has brought in kind of a murderer's row of coaches. Yeah. And I think it's, that's another thing that makes it easy for Corey Raymond to stay as a position coach. I mean, this is a staff where John Robinson is hanging around and he's a hall of fame coach. Yeah. And he's just an analyst. This, this again goes back to what we talked about on the prior episode about how coach O has, he learned to set his ego aside. And like you just said, he surrounded himself with all these smart people because I think what matters to coach O's ego is not being the smartest coach or the coach of the best schemes. It's it's winning with his program. And so he's going to surround himself with the personnel that's going to help him do that. Yeah, I, I think he knows he has to win. And also, like he kind of won. Like, all the detractors, everyone who said anything bad about him, yeah. he, he hasn't had to say anything. He's been very magnanimous about it. I mean, there has been a little bit that, you know, he's heard every insult and, like, you know, he's very uh, keenly aware when people like make fun of his accent or something like that. <laughs> right. But he has not had to do a whole lot of chest thumping about himself. When he thumps his chest, it's about LSU. But everyone knows that the reason he doesn't have to thump his chest is because he's just guided a team to a 15 and no national championship, and no one thought he could do it. Yeah. And that's 
yeah, being right is the best revenge. You know, you don't have to say it if you've done it. Yep. So the ham sandwiches uh, taste that much sweeter. They really do. The ham sandwiches are delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's and so I think that's the one thing about the staff. I don't think title matter, matters that much, but I am once again. I, I don't think the Popolini hire is bad, but. I would have liked to us to promote from within just because we kind of had a candidate, mainly because we didn't bring in someone who wowed me. If they would have brought in, uh, I don't know, like Bob Shoup, I would have been like, okay, you know, it's Bob Shoup. Okay, I'll take it. But there isn't a guy that I feel like, oh, you know, oh, they hired Brent Venables from Clemson. Yeah. Okay, obviously you hire him. And and the other thing that I don't really like about the hires is how much we're paying them. Mm. Like it seems like you could have gotten – him for a little bit less you're you're paying top dollar when you didn't have to i know some of it is you know title dictates salary and i get that but lsu pays more than any other school for its coordinators and i, I mean when i say they could have paid less i mean they could have paid them like 1.8 instead of 2.3 mm-hmm. I mean, that's still you know half a million dollars less and it's still 1.8 it's a pretty hefty chunk of change and i think it's a lot more than he was making at youngstown yeah, I don't think he was making above three hundred thousand dollars a year at Youngstown. Yeah, he you know he was not living high on the hog. I mean, yeah, it's just not that kind of program. But again, Pliny's a good coach. I, I do have a lot of confidence in him. It's just at the same time, wasn't blown away. But then again, hey, I didn't like the O hire and see how that worked out. So right. it, it doesn't it. It's not about winning the press conference. It's about winning the hire. And with that, you know, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there is stuff going on on campus, you know, baseball and softball are getting ready. Gymnastics has, you know, just started up. They lost a tough one to Florida, but looked good doing so. So really good. So a lot better than I, they looked in their previous matches. Um, Kaya Johnson is a star. She is, God, this is, she's only been in four or five meets now. As a freshman, she is further along than any other LSU gymnast I've ever seen as a freshman. And I think as much as, you know, we love Ashley Nat, we just had Sarah come through the program, say whoever you want. I think Kai Johnson in four years, if she can stay healthy, mm. will graduate as the greatest gymnast in LSU history. And I think this freshman class looks so loaded so early and they're contributing so much Right now, I think when they graduate, they will have a national title to their name. Now, it's not going to happen this year. There's too many freshmen. I feel bad for Kennedy Edney once they say that because she's a senior. I would love it if she was still a junior. Mm. And then I would predict it, predict it for next year. But I, I think this team really – this freshman class looks really, really good. Not just Johnson, but she is, she is off the charts great. She's like – the Derek Stingley of the gymnastics team. She really is. Like, just came in right away and was just awesome. She just doesn't look like a freshman. That is a, actually a really good analogy. Yeah, she she looks like, you know, the best. I, she looks better than Kennedy Edney. And that's not a knock on Kennedy Edney. That's, that's just how just, good she is. Yeah. yeah, like, she just looks that awesome. It's, you know, you even if, if you think back, like, even... Like Edney was, you know, a little rough as a freshman. Mm-hmm. You know, she had her she had her moments, 
violent. I mean, you could tell the skill was there, but she wasn't. She didn't like show up on campus and you were just like, oh, she's the best one on the team. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And, you know, even, you know, Sarah Finnegan, who was just amazing, and she was part of that, a really great freshman class. If you remember, Lexi Pressman was supposed to be the one who was the best of that class. And right. injuries kind of derailed her career a little bit. I mean, she was still a great gymnast for LSU. But, you know, Finnegan was, I don't want to say an afterthought, because that's not true. But she wasn't, she didn't show up fully formed. Mm-hmm. Johnson's showing up fully formed. Yeah. She's great and also if she's not fully formed if this is just the the glimpse of the talent that she's going to become oh my god right i i mean oh my god this is amazing she is already on a level of kenny edney sarah finnegan i I mean ashley nat this is yeah we're, we're watching a star in the making if she isn't already made so in, enjoy the next four years. She is really, really good. And this team is really, really young. I mean, you do have, you know, Edney, but other than that, I don't think there's too many other major seniors on this team. I'm trying to, and also like, you know, early on Kai Rivers also, you know, she's not in, she looks like what you expect a really good freshman to look like. She's contributing on three different events you know, she has some rocky moments, but she has some real big highs and some kind of low lows. That's what you expect a freshman to look like. Hey, she's contributing. She looks really good, but she's just not there yeah. yet. I mean, you, we don't rely on her points yet. But yeah, you look at the senior team. And, you know, you, you have Kenny Edney and Ruby Harrell. That's it. Those are the only seniors on this team. And you know, I like Ruby Harrell. She's one of my. You know, she's a fan favorite, and she's one of my favorite gymnasts on the team. But she's not. You know, she doesn't compete in the all-around. She's a bar specialist, and she's, you know, pretty good at the floor. But, you know, she's not, I don't want to say, but an irreplaceable cog. I think next year, you know, you're going to see that junior class, you know, Sammy Durante, Sarah Edwards, who's now injured. So we'll see, you know, you know, Christina Desiderio, Bridget Dean, you know, Reagan Campbell. They'll be the seniors. So, God, this really, really looks good for next year. But – Look, this year's team, while I don't think they're going to win the title just because Florida looks great, Oklahoma, as always, looks awesome. Yeah. But this is still a team that's going to compete for to be in the Final Four. And if you're in the Final Four, you know, anything can happen in that final meet. Yep. So, puncher's chance is kind of how I would describe this year's team. But I do think the realistic goal is make the Final Eight. And then, yeah, I think they should be shooting for the Final Four, but I'm not counting on it Mm -hmm. but i think this team is capable of making the final four if they hit all cylinders they just quite haven't hit that gear yet but you know last year's team hadn't hit that gear yet at this time so you know i I think uh dd bro has learned i think she had some teams earlier that kind of peaked in february and she's learned to hold that throttle back Mm. You know, let them kind of ramp up as the season goes on. Treat those early season meets more as a way to warm up for the postseason instead of, hey, we got to beat everybody every meet, you know, because you just can't stay in, you know, in the red for four months. You know, you got to have your ups and downs and kind of let it flow. And I think they're building to the postseason now instead of always going out, you know, hardcore every meet. 
which is a better way to compete for national titles. So yeah, because you stay healthy longer that way. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And also just you know mental fatigue. Mm-hmm. If you're going for a ten every time, it's. I mean, of course you want to get a ten every time, but just can't. I mean, that can't be your focus every time. I'm going to get a ten. Your your focus needs to be. Yes. I need to do my routine to the absolute best that I can do my routine. And also sometimes in the season you're working on like little parts of it. Hey, how can I get this to be a little bit better? You know, yeah. what, what part works for me? And that, particularly in the early season, I think this is the team that can kind of figure things out. And also like in, you know, conference play, 9.8 is fine. Score 9.8. It, it, <laughs> it, it'll be okay. Like, and I think they've learned that. Like, you know, you don't always have to, you know, stretch for that extra point. Sometimes just take what you got, you know, the points in front of you and, Come postseason, that's when you got to push to the limit. Yeah. But another great team, you know, it's a, it, it's a great team this year. And honestly, even with the slow start, they have the highest average score of any team in their region because Florida is in a different region. Mm. But um, they're neck and neck with Alabama. That's the next meet. So go support LSU against Alabama because, A, we hate Alabama. <laughs> but secondly, Alabama is our probably our biggest competition for within the region. So, and with that, let's kind of keep it short tonight. Let's go to the question bag. All right. So going back to the Pellini hire, Max Toscano asks, why seemingly settle for Pellini when you could have had anyone? I don't think you could have had anyone. It's the coaching carousel season tends to be during the bowl season. Hmm. You know, people are changing jobs. You're doing interviews in December, and people tend to change jobs around January 1st. I mean, not exactly, but that's kind of the timeline. By the time LSU got through the national championship game, (laughs) the carousel had stopped. The ride was over. Uh, People had settled in new jobs. People had gotten contract extensions. It's it's a hard time to look for new coaches. Uh, I mean, the Baylor thing opened up for Aranda because – you know, Matt Rule went to the NFL. Right. So the NFL coaching tree is about to start up, but it's really hard for a college team, even one as accomplished as LSU, to attract an NFL coach. And honestly, I'm you know, not totally enamored with getting NFL coaches because, once again, the lifeblood is recruiting, and that's a different skill set. Yeah. I, and it's the reason uh, Brady's going back to the NFL because recruiting is a pain in the butt. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to suck up the 17-year-olds. <laughs> 17-year-olds suck. I mean, I don't mean like today's 17-year-olds suck. I mean, 17-year-olds suck throughout all of history for all time. It's just, you suck when you're 17. I'm sorry, you do. And, you know, you grow out of it. But, man, having to suck up to them and, you know, try and get them to go to your school, I, I get why you don't want the grind of recruiting. Yeah. And, yeah, like, some yeah. guys live for it. Yeah, you. I think that's where you were just going. You have to have the personality for it, right? There's some guys who are just so suited for it, and yeah. there are good coaches on top of that. And you know, that's that's the guy you want. Yeah, and and so yeah, for a guy like so, there's not a whole lot of NFL names that I think LSU would have been looking at, and all the college names had already kind of settled on their new jobs, so there weren't a whole lot of options. And that's it's just the time of year. And honestly, they, you know, they got a guy who's. I mean, Bo Pelini won a national title. You want to hear. Yeah. He's 
It's a pretty good defensive core. I mean, I know that was 10, 15 years ago, but, I mean, the game hasn't changed that much. That's where, you know, I can just hear the voice of Seth coming from Canada. Yes, it has! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Seth. (laughs) You're not here to defend yourself. (laughs) Is Seth back in Canada? Because Seth was this past weekend. uh... Yeah, he was in Baton Rouge. Maybe he just uh, hasn't made it out of the state alive. (laughs) They they were plying him with with food beverages, so. Yeah, if you see Seth, uh, give him a shot, you know. Vinnie Bartles asks, how would you compare Joe Burrow's 2019 to other dominant single seasons, such as Barry Sanders in 1988 or Reggie White in 1983? Well, first off, nothing is Barry Sanders' 1988 season. Um, that thing, go look at the numbers, and it's like it didn't, it doesn't even look real. Especially um, at that time, you got to consider I, the game in, in, in its, in context of, the decade it's being played in too. I mean, yeah, it's just, but also like there's something about stuff that happened in the eighties and seventies because you didn't get to see it. Well, okay. This requires some explanation for our younger listeners. (laughs) You got to watch every LSU football game and it was no big deal. I, I mean, like, of course you could, you could see anybody, I mean, if I tried hard enough, I could watch every Purdue game. Right. Okay. And in the 90s and the aughts, you could see most LSU games. Like, you you know, like when LSU played Rice, you probably couldn't see it if you lived out of state. But by and large, every important LSU game you could get. So if there was a great thing happening, you know, you could watch every game. All right. In 1988... I was living in Maryland, and I did not see a Barry Sanders football game until Bedlam. Mm -hmm. He was not on TV. I never saw him. I just read about him. And you would open up the newspaper, and you'd look at the box score, and would just be like, this can't be real. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the guy was rushing for 200, 300 yards a game, and, and... and since you couldn't see it, you just had to imagine what was going on. Okay, you could read game stories, and you saw a photograph of them. It, you know, wasn't that long ago. But really, there's a certain mythic quality when you can't see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess occasionally, like, ABC would cut into a game and maybe show a highlight. But I don't even remember that. I remember, like, it was appointment television. We can't we never watch Bedlam. Who cares about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State? Mm-hmm. But I watched that one because <laughs> <laughs> Barry Sanders was going to play. Uh, he was just <clears throat> – it's like he broke football. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I cannot explain just how amazing Barry Sanders – and then he gets to the NFL and he's like everything he was billed to be. Uh, and so the 1988 Barry Sanders season is its own level of just – amazing that said the joe burrow season's on a pretty high plane it seems real though because we saw it there's never a point where i was like oh this is this isn't happening <laughs> though seth a lot did say a lot of times i can't believe this is happening right which is a slightly different take on it like barry sanders was i don't believe this 
right. like they must be lying to us. <laughs> Joe Burrow was like, how is this possible? So that's kind of the difference in greatness right there. But still, he put up numbers that are just silly. And the thing is, you can at least compare it to something. Like you can say like, you know, Vince Young's 2005 season is number wise isn't the same, but from just sheer jaw dropping ability or like Michael Vick his first season. It's yeah. kind of like on that level where you're just like, Oh my God. Or, you know, the Cam Newton 2010 season where he's carried Auburn to a title. There's at least seasons I can compare it to. I, I think Joe Burrow's season is better, but it's on the same level. There is nothing like Barry Sanders rushing for 2,850 yards <laughs> in one season. <laughs> That's a career he, for some running backs. He averaged 237 yards a game and scored 42 touchdowns on the ground. Oh. I, I, I mean, I know it happened, and I still don't believe it happened. Mm. Uh, Joe Burrow's numbers are crazy good, but they at least make sense. <laughs> Barry Sanders' numbers didn't make sense now, <laughs> uh, then, and they make less sense now. It's it's the greatest college football season of all time. It's a shame he had to play for Oklahoma State. <laughs> anywhere else he would have won a national. Not anywhere else, but imagine if he had gone to a blue blood. Yeah. Which, in a way, kind of makes it cooler. Like, he's, you know, he's Oklahoma State's. All right, Max Toscano asks, is Joe Burrow good enough to overcome how bad the Bengals are to become an elite NFL quarterback? And if he isn't, nobody is. Well, there's that. Um, I don't watch a whole lot of NFL anymore just because I have kids. And if you take Saturday off to watch football, you're a pretty terrible dad if you take Sunday <laughs> off too. <laughs> just saying that. Um, but the Bengals are terrible. And, I mean, that's why they have the number one pick. But the great equalizer is a great quarterback. I mean, if you look at – Pretty much any great quarterback, they were taken number one in the draft, and they went to a terrible team, and the terrible team turns itself around. Yeah. So if Jim Kelly can turn around the Buffalo Bills, anything's possible. Yeah. So, yeah, of course he is. And honestly, I don't think the talent gap in the NFL is that huge between teams. Well, I was going to say, it's not like he's going into Cincinnati and not going to have – I mean, they're good receivers there. He, he's got talent that he can work with. It's just a matter, I think, can the O-line give him the time to work that magic? Yeah, and once again, like, it's just the talent gap isn't – there's not a whole lot of – it's not like college football where you can just have massive talent disparities and also where you just have a few schools who just hoard just a remarkable amount of talent compared to everyone else. You know, the Patriots are a lot better than the Bengals, but almost every player in the Bengals – isolated could play for the Patriots. Mm. That that is not true when, you know, LSU plays Ole Miss. There are guys on Ole Miss who, who could not make LSU the roster. And that's not an insult against Ole Miss. I, we could, you know, we could do Clemson and Maryland if it makes you feel better. <laughs> the fact of the matter is is just how recruiting works. You can stockpile talent in a way that you just can't do in the pros. Yeah. And and so yeah, I think, of course, he can turn it around because 
A, he'll get there, and quarterback makes a great deal of difference. Secondly, they're not as bad as you think you are, they are because almost no NFL team is. And then third, it kind of attracts talent to him. You know, free agents will start to want to go there if he starts putting up numbers. Yeah. All right. So staying on the Burrow train, Brad Falk asks, did Burrow have a better career than Tua? He threw for almost the same amount of touchdowns, threw for way more yards, less interceptions, more wins over top 10 teams. Both have one conference championship and a national championship. And Brad says he values winning the Heisman more than playing one more national championship and playing badly. Um, God, who had a better career? I mean, I kind of instinctively, I want to say Tua because he just hit, there was more. I mean, Burrow clearly had the better season. I mean, like Burrow's one season wins. Yeah. I, that's the best. But also, we take a step back. Like, Tua was hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. He only played one full season in 2018. Both 2017, 2019, he he was limited in action. He put up really good numbers. And yeah, he you know the national title thing helps, but also he won one national title because he you know lost to Clemson. And also, that's a team accomplishment. I mean, I know the quarterback gets a ton of credit for it. At the end of the day, you need a team around you. I, I mean, Lamar Jackson was awesome at Louisville, but they weren't going to win the national championship right. because they didn't have a, a whole lot else other than Lamar Jackson. So I honestly, if you if you want to compare whole seasons, really, two only has you know a half season, a half season, and a full season. So it kind of works its way out to two seasons. So I think I, at the end of the day, I do want to say Burrow just because Burrow's one season was so, so great. Yeah. And his prior season, while it doesn't have the great numbers, I think he's been really underrated. I think we're doing it a disservice. Like people are trying to say that he was bad in his junior year. He really transformed that LSU team. Mm-hmm. And, and I, he, was, he was much more – I don't want to call him a game manager because he wasn't that. But he was definitely a leader. You know, like the Miami game, he was a game manager. He just kind of got out there and, but also like once you're up big, why throw? Yeah. But that Georgia game, he won the Georgia game with his legs. Yeah. And the numbers weren't there, but he showed that. You know, I know this would. You know, I can hear the eyes rolling. And you know, once again, if Jake was on, <laughs> you know, he was a winner. Yeah. He came right away and he knew how to win. And I, I think that's an incredibly underrated s- skill in today's world because we tend to scoff at things like that. So even though Burrow didn't have quite the gaudy numbers his junior year, he was still in a really good quarterback. So yeah, I think Burrow did a, you know, I've talked it through. I think Burrow had the better career. And of course, obviously his 2019 is just such an awesome season. I I mean, it blows Tua's 2018 out of the water. And that's not to say that Tua had a bad year in 2018. Tua had a great year in 2018, but it, it wasn't Burroughs 2019. Taking so, a step sorry, away. Tua. Burrow wins both career and best. There you go. All right, taking yeah. a step away from there. football, Vinny Bartles asks, Netflix gives you an unlimited budget to make your passion project, series, movie, documentary, whatever. What are you making? Hmm. Now, 
I've always wished someone would make uh, House of Leaves into a movie. I think the only way to do it is to cut away most of the novel and just film the Davidson record and then release it as a faux documentary. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a funny joke. But at the end of the day, I think it works best as a st- I, I think it works best as a standalone book. And I think one of the important things about the book is that the Navidson record doesn't exist. So I would hate to ruin that for a future reader. Mm. So I think if I could do one thing, I would like to do a I would like to do as a history nerd, I would like to do a mini series on uh, the Senate and the antebellum period. Yeah, you, you know, three of the the great giants. You have D- Daniel Webster, Henry Clay, and Calhoun, and how the three of them fought essentially, you know, this proxy war over slavery. Yeah. And really, the reason I want to do it is, first off, I find Henry Clay to be an endlessly fascinating human being. Um, also, he he's just a fun person in history. He, you know, he he drank, he gambled, he swore. <laughs> you know, he. Modern viewers could – you could make a very compelling Henry Clay character yeah. uh, that modern viewers would like. But I also just love that final image of Calhoun getting reelected after having retired to issue one final speech before the Senate in favor of the, you know, the South and slavery and uh, – you know, and – you know, essentially the Confederacy before it formed, you know, of King Cotton. And he was too sick to speak and too weak to stand. Mm. So he sat in his wheelchair, handed the speech to the junior senator from South Carolina, and he just stared at all of the people in the Senate that he hated. <laughs> and I think that'd just be such a great way to finish. I mean, just a really just good image. It's some. It's an image that's always stuck with me because if you've ever seen a picture of Calhoun, yeah, I mean he's those he's eyes. a mean looking guy, yeah, and having him staring to you would you know pierce your soul. But it's just at the end of the day, he won. I mean, the bad guy won. Mm. <laughs> like he ate, you know, he fought off everybody, and you know, and he made an enemy of everyone. He, he fought both Andrew Jackson and Henry Clay. The only thing Jackson and Clay could agree on is how much they hated Calhoun. <laughs> and he still he found a way to beat them both. I, I think he's just a fascinating guy. And if you want, you know, we can. I don't want to blame him for the Civil War, but he, he's a pretty big cause of it. Like yeah. he he is the intellectual foundation of the Confederacy, and I find that. Like we always talk about, you know, Henry Clay is, you know, the great compromiser and Daniel Webster, you know, the devil and Daniel Webster. I mean, he's the great orator and these great men. I mean, these are not nobodies Mm -hmm. and Calhoun fought them both off. And I find that endlessly fascinating. I think you could make a really cool series about that. All right. So I, I would do that. What would you do? Well, Amazon's kind of sort of doing it, except I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be yet. You know, they got the rights to do a Middle Earth series. And there are a lot of Tolkien readers out there who don't appreciate the Cimmerillion. They, they don't see Tolkien was a history nerd, too. He was a history nerd. He was a language nerd. And that. That background of his is so infused in his Middle Earth works. 
and that's kind of like what the Cimmerland was, was explaining the history behind everything that shows up in the popular works of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And I've always looked at that book as you couldn't really do a movie out of it or a trilogy of movies as Peter Jackson woefully did with The Hobbit. It's really the kind of work that deserves a longer format. And so that's probably something I would do. I would I would do the Cimmerian as a as a series. All right, that's a fair one. I, I, I would like to see the Cimmerian. So that's yeah, that's that's high up on the list of fantasy stuff that we haven't seen. All right. Someone give this man a budget. <laughs> he has no experience making these things, but sure. It's a great idea. Yeah, no, I have no experience whatsoever, but I'll I'll adapt it. All right, so turning our attention to one of our favorite things outside of sports, food, Michael Phillips wants to know, what's the best king cake? He says Randazzo's, and he wants to know, filled or unfilled? I guess it would be filled or no filling. I am... I'm a purist... I'm an I'm a no filling guy. I get why people like filling. Yeah. I'm not going to be someone who says filling is wrong, but I think it it's because of where you are. Mm-hmm. If you're in South Louisiana right now, you are currently on somewhere between your tenth <laughs> or a hundredth king cake. <laughs> and if you just had to eat the same king cake every time, that would get kind of old. Yeah. So I understand the need for a whole bunch of new flavors. And I understand, you know, that's particularly, you know, I don't even know how Dong Fuang, you know, the, the Viet, you know, Vietnamese baker. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like that's one of the reasons you like it, but when you don't live in South Louisiana, you just want a king cake. You, right. you, you don't want anything. You don't want no frills. You don't want anything funky about it. Like I just want that king cake which you're sick of. So <laughs> we have different desires right now. And I, I so I'm not going to say that one group is wrong and you know, one is right. I honestly, it's better to have t- a ton of variety, but if you're, you know, as someone who's right now in Texas and has to get them shipped in classic, no. you know, don't, don't mess with, a, don't mess with the winning formula. And yeah, I, I think Randazzo is the best. And also, they're so used to shipping them all over the country. They ship so well. Yeah. We had some Don Fuang's shipped in and they just, I mean, they're good. I mean, they're really, but they don't quite hold the shipping, you know, mm. in, in transit. It's just, it's too delicate of a cake. You know, it's, it's hard to ship a cake. Yeah. You know, Manny Mendoza, I mean, they've been doing that for, you know, almost a century. It feels like mm. I probably have, and I think they've only been open since like the nineties, <laughs> but still like, <laughs> They've got the system down, and <laughs> it's yeah, you know it's going to show up, and it's going to be awesome, and it, it really it holds on to its flavor well. Like you get it, and it's still a solid king. You know, it tastes like it's supposed to take. Yeah. It doesn't taste like it's been in the mail, <laughs> which is a hard thing to do. Yeah. So yeah, they're the king. Randazzo's is my is. I believe I mentioned who do you get yours your from? Well. We uh, Kelly found she was in Kroger the other day. I, I mentioned this on social media. Gambino's is apparently got a deal with Kroger, so we got a Gambino's king cake, and I got the baby today. I, I will say so. I guess I'm on the hook for the next one. All right. Well, you have to get another one. So. <laughs> and uh, 
it it's it's been good. It it had a filling. We are not big filling people either. We we're like you said, we're purists. We we just want the regular old king cake. But it it wasn't bad. We've enjoyed it. But we get into the problem of the shipping in that so the box is, is sealed in plastic, a plastic wrap to kind of help hold in the freshness so it's not leaking out of, you know, the cardboard box anywhere. But once you open it, really we've only gotten like two good days out of it. Now now it's getting to the point of yeah, tomorrow it's gonna be utterly worthless what little bit is left. So may just have to go have a little bit more tonight after we finish recording. But this ties into our last question. Brad Falk also asked about king cakes. He said uh, most of the hosts on this pod now live outside of Louisiana, and actually all of us live outside Louisiana, and he wants to know who makes the best king cake to ship out of state. He's a no-filling guy too. And he says, I've run the gamut of all the flagships, and I'm not kidding. I backed my way into ordering one from Rouse's, and it's my clubhouse leader for now. And then ask for any other recommendations. Well, obviously, you've got the recommendation with Randazzo's. I'm a Randazzo's guy. I, I think it ships. I think I think Randazzo ship is great, but I will not knock Rouse's. I know it's kind of like the thing to do. I consider Rouse to be the platonic ideal of a king kick, and by that I mean it's the baseline version. Mm. When I think of a king cake, I tend to think of Rouse's, and any modification, positive or negative is a modification you've done to a Rouse King cake. Yeah. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's it's sort of like the standard by which I judge everything. I don't think it's the best King cake, but it's definitely the most King cake, if that mm. makes any sense. Yeah. Like it is the the distillation of what a King cake is. If there was someone who had never had a King cake before, I would get a Rouse's because I think that's what a King cake is. Then I but Randazzo's is definitely the one I would you know, someone said, Hey, I've had one before, you know, a good King cake place. What's your favorite to ship? Got to go with Manny. But yeah, I, I don't, I think people are kind of coming around on Rouse's. They, they've kind of been getting kicked around for years. And I think this year on social media, I see more and more people sticking up for them. So good for them. Cause Rouse's is it's quality King cake. It's not, you know, it, it's not the homecoming queen, but it's solid. Yeah. They're not in business anymore. I, I mean, someone who still lives in NOLA, correct me if I'm wrong, but I still have fond memories of McKinsey's just as a bakery in general, but also King Cakes. Yeah. I, they were down, they had they had a shop down the street uh, in Kenner uh, where Kelly and I lived for a while, and they were also at a bigger shop in Metairie somewhere. And so, yeah, McKinsey's was always a good one for us too, but I, I believe they're out of the business. I, I've... Uh, yeah, I've never had one shipped, so I don't know how they ship. So, yeah, yeah if we can get someone to you know write in and tell us, uh, I, I would I would love to add someone else to the roster. We Adel's support King Cakes in all of their forms. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if anyone knows, yeah. if, yeah. is no, it Hydels or Haydels is still in business? That they were one that w- was really good and shipped too, I think. But I, again, I don't know if they're still around. So, yeah, listeners, let us know because. We're interested in trying yeah. a little bit of everything we can. Yeah, we we will do a taste test. We we will do it on air <laughs> if I have to. Like we're we support King Cake in all of its forms because we love Mardi Gras. That that is the sacrifice we are willing to make. <laughs> well, that's it for questions. 
All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us on a somewhat, uh, I don't want to call it a solo. This was uh, just me with uh, Chris as my co-pilot. So we'll try to bring the kids back next week or, you know, two weeks from now, you know, have them call me a grumpy old man. And <laughs> I always get a kick out of that before I mute their mics. So, but until then, go Tigers. Yeah.